Welcome to the Soil and Stars podcast. This is a podcast about living a meaningful life in all ways. We'll talk about astrology and other wisdom traditions, creativity, natural health, spirituality, and all sorts of practical day-to-day life stuff. I'm your host, Molly Moorhead. Hello, everyone. Thanks so much for being here. I have a really lovely conversation to share with you today with one of my friends who, excuse me, is one of the best home gardeners that I know. I know quite a lot of really, really impressive home gardeners. Um, And this particular person, she and her husband are just uh, incredible. Like their garden's always really, really gorgeous and they grow a ton of food. And I am always getting her thoughts about gardening. So, you know, and just continuously being inspired by like how much of their own food that they all, that they grow, how they try, they're always trying new varieties, just having a lot of fun with the whole thing. And I've been dreaming about doing a series on sustainability on the podcast. And specifically, I've been thinking about clothing. I've been on this tear where I'm making my own clothes lately, more on that another time. And uh, then about food and medicine, growing our own food and medicine. And so I was like, ooh, I think I can do, I think maybe this friend will agree to have a conversation with me about growing food. Uh, And I have things to say about that too, because I've been doing it a long time. She's just next level. And then I'm going to record a solo show. At least I think it's going to be solo. That'll come out next week about growing medicine. So Uh, I'm yeah, super excited about all of this and I'll, yeah, I'll tell you a little bit more about her and her background. And first I just want to, um, do a couple of announcements. So let's see here. Uh, I have some teaching coming up and some of that's in person and some of it's online. So for folks who live in the same area as me, I teach classes at the community college. You know, mostly I teach an astrology class that is like a four part astrology class that's supposed to be like you can come in not knowing anything at all and then leave, uh, you know, knowing <clears throat> quite a bit about astrology in a broad sense, like the history and uh, all the major concepts and the beginnings of how to read a chart that, cause I say beginnings, cause it's just kind of, it's kind of a lot. Like it takes a few years to really be able to read a chart, but I want to get everybody started. Um, and, and how to navigate astrology information that you find online. So I teach that class and I was doing it every quarter, but now we're doing it. Um, I'm doing it spring and fall. So the spring one is starting on the 25th and I haven't worked out all the details yet. I'll hopefully have done so by next week, but it's been on my mind for a long, long time to make an online version of that class for folks who don't live where I live. But I just felt like I needed to teach it in person a few times to work out more of the kinks and get clearer about like what is working for students and like how people are learning before I start expanding that too much. And so I've done that now. I've taught the course three times. Each time I'm refining it and 
yeah, so this spring will be the, f- the fourth time, but I'm going to be offering it online as well and over zoom and we'll record them also for, for anyone who can't make it that day or is in a totally different time zone and it doesn't work. You can watch the recording later and yeah, I'm going to work out all the details and that, cause that'll, I think be starting the same week, um, the 25th of April. So yee, I'm so excited. I, when I got that message, I was taking a walk when I had that message come through that it was time. Cause my, I was, I wasn't hammering away at that. I was just walking, letting my mind wander and contemplating my work very gently and lightly. And it came through like, Oh no, it's time to offer this online. And I was like, Oh, it is. It feels like that's right. So I have all the slides. I'll probably redo them, but I have all the slides. I've taught it three times and yeah, I'm ready. So for anyone who wants to do that, that that feels good, um, stay tuned and I'll share more next week in the newsletter and on the podcast. And so there's that. And then I'm also teaching an in-person class on weedy medicinal plants, which is one of my favorite topics. That's also at the community college on April 15th. I'm going to link this stuff. I will tell you (laughs) the community college website. I can't send a direct link to like my class, right? Like I can send a link to a page and you can kind of navigate the labyrinth that is their website and you can register. Like I haven't heard from anyone that they've had a problem. I personally find it a little bit challenging, uh, but you can always just call the number. Uh, the people at the desk are really, really nice. Uh, I've had to call them for one reason or another, and they're always super nice. So you can get yourself registered one way or another. But I'm teaching this class called Dandelion, Plantain, and Chickweed. Oh my, I have fun with the names on April 15th. So that's a two-hour class on Saturday. So for anyone who lives in my area, uh, that should be super fun. If you're looking for an introduction to working with medicinal plants as weeds, that is what that's meant to be. I've taught versions of this class a lot. I'm going to sit down and work out the details of, of teaching it um, this time because I can't offer samples. I can't let anyone like taste any tea or eat any food or anything through the college. So I'm changing it a little bit. Usually I do things more workshoppy. Um, this can't be like that, but I, I don't think that will, um, be some horrible thing. I think it'll still be fantastic. And weedy plants as medicine is just one of my favorite things for so many reasons. And I'll share more about that in the class and also next week on the show. So there's that. And there's a couple other things even. I don't always teach a ton and there's a lot happening right now though. So the other one is uh, the Prairie Herbalist Conference is coming up in, it's the end of July. Like, let me look at the date, July 22nd and 23rd. So a Saturday and then like a half day on that Sunday. And that it'll be the second or third time that Rachel is, is offering this conference and putting it together. I taught last year, I taught kind of like a plants and planets intro to humoral medicine and astro herbalism class based on a course I'd been taking at the time. It was kind of for me, like an opportunity to put a lot of stuff together that I'd been learning in that class. And Rachel had asked if I would teach about that subject. And I, I didn't actually feel ready Um, and then I sat down and worked it all out and I was like, oh, I'm 
totally ready. This is all super interesting. And a lot of it is more embodied knowledge for me at this point than I realized. I find all of that a little bit um, challenging to get into, though. It's like, okay, I have this background in herbal medicine and healing and, and also gardening and farming. And then astrology's always been a little separate. Like I was always an astrology enthusiast and then I got really into astrology and was like, I have to actually study this. And so I, you know, I've been doing that since 2019, um, in terms of like, I'm really doing this for real. Uh, and there's of course a lot of intersections of astrology and herbal medicine and medicine in general and gardening, but I haven't, I haven't fully put all that together again. I mean, again, I haven't fully put that together for myself, so I'm just kind of letting that be okay uh, for the time being, but meanwhile, doing both. And so I taught about that last year, which was really fun, and I got to attend all the other, all the other talks, and they were all amazing. Uh, so yeah, that's happening. Registration just opened on April 1st, and there's early bird pricing till June 1st, and it's like, how much does it cost? I, I think it's pretty, um, good price for what it is. It's, uh, if you're doing the whole thing, uh, the whole thing, it's two twenty five now. And then after June 1st, it's two ninety five. So you'll save $70 if you do it before June 1st. And I think they're, they're doing, they're allowing 50 people to sign up this year. Last year, um, she capped it at 40. And I think we got pretty full, pretty quick. Um, it was a pretty popular event. So yeah, that's happening. Um, it's such a, it's such a cool thing to connect with other plant people in my area. Cause it just, it doesn't happen quite as often as I'd like, even, even though I'm involved. So that's happening. And then the last one is, I just want to briefly mention that the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference in Wisconsin is happening at the end of May. It's happening that last weekend of May that there's every single conference is happening, it seems, and you have to choose. Like, it's the same weekend that NORWAC happens, which I did last year. I mean, I, I attended it. I didn't teach. Um, <laughs> it's like you really have to decide what you're going to do that weekend. And the this conference is totally full. I think there's still they still have some before and after intensives that they're offering, but I just wanted to mention it in case it's not on anybody's radar and you know, you want it to be in terms of a really amazing, it seems like a really amazing event that happens the last weekend of May. Um, that is all about plant medicine and I'm teaching a class that I'm going to be teaching a few places. I'm going to be teaching at the, at the, Prairie Herbalist Conference as well about landscaping plants, like getting to know landscaping plants more deeply, not just as something to look at, but knowing which ones are actually food plants, which ones are actually medicinal plants or can be in a pinch, uh, and which ones are poisonous for real or might be poisonous. Sometimes we're not sure which that is, right? Because it's a little hard to test without possibly getting very sick, um, but which ones you want to look out for, but you can still get to know as a friend, right? Um, ooh. I hit my elbow on my, uh, on my clipboard there. Um, yeah. Cause like a lot of landscaping plants are poisonous, but they're, I don't know. They're just these wonderful spirit allies you can walk alongside. And I think what happens is a lot of folks just feel like, because there are so many poisonous 
landscaping plants that the whole thing is off limits, like that it's all this kind of monolith of untouchable plants you never want to put in your mouth and they, you know, yell at their children not to eat whatever it is when it's like some totally safe thing, you know? And once you start to learn about it, it's like you can parse all of that out and it becomes what the name of the class, which is living landscape. Like it becomes like a living landscape. You can relate to these plants as individuals instead of just yelling at your kids not to put them in your mouth, in their mouth. Um, and you can know when you really need to actually yell at them for that and not just be reacting in fear of the unknown. So that is, I think that's all that for teaching. Um, of course, as always, if you want an astrology reading, a birth chart reading, or a specific question reading, which is called horary, which is a little hard to say, you can book on my website. Uh, if you want to learn more about getting started reading your chart, I have the beginner's workshop, Know Your Chart, Know Yourself, which is always available for download, $25. And that's not extremely heavy on information. It's more about helping you put the pieces together. Um, and then, yeah, if neither of those things are what you need right now, or you've already done them both, I totally invite you to contribute to the Patreon. I'm trying to do this as like my actual livelihood. And so the Patreon, it, the idea is that will help fund, you know, my uh, cost for equipment because I need some stuff, of, you know, buy and buy if I want this to be the best quality. And I... I really enjoy the editing and all being hands-on with, with this whole thing. Cause I, and I feel like that's really important to get familiar and intimate with when you're starting a new thing. But it also, I think will be really nice to hire someone ultimately and hand it off. Um, because we can't do it all. You know, if you're a small or like a, you know, micro business owner, you might be trying to do it all. And it's just, you just can't like you have to have people to help you and create more of an ecosystem and not you know you're you're probably already a jack of all trades like I certainly am but so then it's like okay <laughs> certain things I just have to hand off and you know and it gives someone else uh, a job too you know it gives someone else some additional side income so I feel really excited to be able to do that and have that support and to be in that you know creating that ecosystem so I, I really am excited for that to build and for, you know, anyone who feels moved to contribute to the Patreon. So that is that. And I will now I will tell you about uh, this conversation with my friend, Margaret Milligan, who is this amazing gardener. Margaret didn't grow up gardening like as a young person until high school when I think we both volunteered on an organic farm just like we had to do community service as part of a high school class and one option was volunteering on this organic farm and unless I'm much mistaken that was kind of the beginning and then she just went straight into farming like in her uh, in her 20s and had a farm with her business partner where they grew vegetables and sold to restaurants and you, they had like a CSA style farm where you could buy a share for the season, you know, and have like get a box every week. And yeah, she did that for years. And then when she left that behind and just went to being a home gardener with a job, you know, uh, like with a job within the 
realm of um, sustainable agriculture, you know, but an office job, she, uh, she and her husband just like grow this incredible, incredible amount of food. Like they'll just, they won't just grow on their own, you know, in their own land either. Like they'll, they garden this spot in the next door neighbor's yard where the neighbor isn't using it. And they've done even more than that. It's, it's just for me, like been like, wow, like this is a way to do this in a city, you know, if you enjoy it. And I mean, people who do tend to tend to enjoy it. I mean, it's just such a enjoyable thing unless you get totally overloaded. Right. So I wouldn't suggest starting with the, the scale of gardening that, um, that she does, but it's like, uh, I'll, I'll I'm including some pictures. It's still just so, um, interesting to learn from, you know, people who really are really doing it, you know? So yeah, I mean, my partner and I grow a lot of vegetables and fruit and medicinals, you know, as well as we have, um, pollinator plants and plants that we're just growing because we like them as well. But, uh, so I, I, I weigh in as well, but Margaret's the real, Margaret's the real expert here, I would say. And in this conversation, we talk about like when we start our seeds, what that workflow kind of looks like throughout the season. We talk about like what we no longer grow anymore and why she shares her thoughts about ideas for getting started, which I thought were really, really good. Um, it's not like grow. It's not just this one concrete, like grow a tomato, you know, (laughs) it's more, um, more interesting than that. Uh, you know, just our biggest garden heartbreaks and all sorts of things about the connection between humans and the earth and how gardening can be this great process to facilitate that. So that that's kind of that. And I hope that you, uh, I hope you enjoy the show and that you get a lot out of it. It's just kind of like a relaxed conversation that I think would be nice to just let wash over you while you're puttering, puttering around, um, as opposed to like, uh, I got to get it all down sort of thing. So anyway, there you go. And, uh, yeah, enjoy. All right. Thank you so much, Margaret, for coming on the show and talking about gardening and all kind of things related to growing more of our own food. Um, thank you so much. Thank you, Molly. I'm excited to be here. So the first thing I'm, I mean, I guess I want to preface this all with like, we're all starting our seeds right now. So right now it's March 19th that we're recording. So it'll go out, this episode will go out a little after that. And we have started our seeds all like, I don't know, within the last month under the grow lights in our little growing setups inside. Mm-hmm. Um, what plants, what plants do you start? I don't really remember. I know I just looked at them, but what, <laughs> what are the ones you start this early? This early. So here in Nebraska in March, we're, we're seeding plants to grow. Yeah. Under grow lights on a heat mat. I'm seeding the long season, hot, weather loving stuff like tomatoes, eggplants, um, peppers. And then I'm also seeding all the cool loving kind of shorter season things like lettuce and, um, chard and kale and collards starting herbs because they 
tend to have like a longer germination period. They grow like a little slower than things. And then pretty soon here, like starting more rounds of those things and things like flowers that are quick growing, like zinnias will be starting soon. And they can go out fairly soon? Mm, no. They're more like May. But you start soon. them soon yeah, anyway? Yeah, we'll start them like in April-ish. Yeah. So it's like a combo of the plants that go out early and don't mind getting chilly and then the plants that just take forever. Yeah. Kind of. That's a good way and then, of And then zinnias that. for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're, yeah, I feel like flower, I don't know, flowers are kind of the wild card for me. They're the things that I have the least um, amount of experience with. So I don't know the proper time to be starting a lot of flowers because like there's tons of different types of flowers but I do start like certain things every year so I start zinnias every year and celosia every year and all that kind of marigolds every year and they generally I start more like April 1st okay. versus March 1st like March 1st is my date for tomatoes peppers eggplants all those really long season um, things that you would start planting in like mid-May. Like if you buy them, um, if you just buy, if you go to the store and you buy your little starts, like you put them in in this climate, like around Mother's Day, right? That's yeah. kind of the thing. So if you're yeah. starting them inside, that's why you start them exactly. March 1st-ish. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Do you ever start stuff too early? Absolutely. For years, I started things too early. I would start <laughs> tomatoes in mm, like fe more like February and the... The thing with that is the tomatoes actually like grow pretty quickly. Like you don't need to start them mm -hmm. three months early. Were you just <laughs> because, like, because so ready to go? Well, the thing, the thing, it, it might become like a detriment to the plant if you start it too early and it has to remain in a little space as it's like growing taller and taller. So I would start the tomatoes in February, let's say, and I would plant them outside in May. And by the time I planted them, they were like, you know, two feet tall. I think I remember some of In these. a little tiny, like they're two like, inch, yeah, two inch pot. And they, you know, their roots were bound and they just really needed to get into the ground. And and that can actually set a plant back. You know, uh -huh. the stress of it being in too small of a space for too long. Like, once you put it in the ground, it's going to need time to rebound from that. And set up its roots, right? Yeah. Its whole, yeah, that makes so sense. So it actually, like, you might, when I start tomatoes in March, they might be, you know, I don't know how, they're usually probably, like, maybe 10 inches tall, maybe a foot tall when I actually get to, around to transplanting them in May. But they're, I don't know, they're more ready to just take off. 
because they're not under stress. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. Um, what do you remember what zone we're in? We're in 5B, 5B. I believe. Yeah, so that's for reference for anyone who is not here because it's like this stuff is also region specific, but it's like a lot of it is applicable in different places unless you're in actually a tropical place and then you're in a just a totally different reality or like (laughs) (laughs) that's just a different conversation or like in a place where there's I don't know I was just on like in the Carolinas and people had rosemary bushes like Mm -hmm. like yeah the same that you find on the west coast Mm -hmm. so like they're four feet tall and they're green all year round and my rosemary plants they died. Good, they really? died. They, they died? died this year. Yeah. I kept them alive <sighs> for five years. and They looked good for yeah, a while. They the did. The last time I noticed them. It was high maintenance for me. I had to take them into the shower like once a month and like oh. shower them off, get them the right moisture. And then just something happened and they, they didn't survive this year. But that's oh, okay. You can always thanks. snip, snip a tip of rosemary off and root it and it'll it'll grow roots and you can have a new, new plant. So I'll just have to find a friend with a rosemary plant. They're around. Yeah, yeah. they're around. People grow them here as annuals too. They'll just grow them like a row crop, which seems kind of sad, but I get it because I've seen these crazy, like monstrous kind of like gnarly, leggy potted rosemaries that people just sort of schlep from apartment to apartment for mm-hmm. years and, you mm-hmm. know, as they live their lives. And mm-hmm. I can see why a person just wouldn't, just wouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah, I always think like what it feels like this great kind of privilege to grow peppers because oh. in the Bay Area you can't. You can't. You just like people Too try. Cold. Yeah. Okay. They just don't get enough of that heat and sun. And maybe it's changing actually. Maybe people are like, I've always tried to grow peppers and now I can do it because climate chaos, but um, it was not not happening okay. when I lived there. And yeah. so the idea like being back in Nebraska, like I can grow all of these peppers. It's like, oh my God, this is so great. They take forever. So the starting early is good. Yeah. I mean, some of these things, when we're talking about like peppers and tomatoes, it's, it's amazing to me, you know, like we start them in March and at least how I'm gardening and my setup, like I am not seeing the first harvest of these things until at least July, July, you know, sometime in July, really starting in August. And then you have two months and you're like, like madly, madly processing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a different time scale for sure. What do you remind me? Like, how do you process your tomatoes? when you have a shit ton of them? That's a great question. Um, and it's a variety of different ways. And it it depends on the circumstances every year. You know, like with gardening and with preserving things in our family, it's, it's really dependent on like how much time do we have. If we have a lot of time, like schedules are lining up, then we're maybe we're canning things. Mm -hmm. We're, you know, removing the skins and canning whole tomatoes. And, you know, like last year I made ketchup for the first time, I think using the recipe that you gave me. Yeah. So that was really cool. Like, you know, some of these more time intensive things, if we have the time, we will do them. But, you know, along with those things, I also just like throw whole tomatoes into a bag 
into a plastic bag or sometimes even into a pillowcase in the freezer and put them in the freezer that works so well yeah that like yeah even i've put them in just an open cardboard box in the freezer that's wonderful and it works just like or a flat like whatever i have yeah and it's like then i'll just take a whole one or two out and throw them in a stew and it they fall apart yeah yes incredible it's like it doesn't require as much processing as um maybe when i was first starting out Mm -hmm. that i thought like i'll I'll say the putting it in the pillowcase trick chloe that's a chloe do you go from rockinet farms (laughs) i was telling i was working for her uh and she's a farmer here in the area i was working for her during the summer and they had a bumper crop of broccoli and i like took home a whole box of broccoli and the next day i was telling her like i'm gonna freeze it like oh man like that means i have to like blanch it and then i gotta buy the ziploc bags and like all these things and chloe was just like margaret just put it in a like put these heads of broccoli in a pillowcase and then put them in your freezer and it worked? And it worked. Oh, wow. I <laughs> like, would I not... Didn't... That's bold. I wouldn't have thought <laughs> was... of that with broccoli. <laughs> it was bold. And then during the, the winter, like, when I wanted to make broccoli and cheese soup or whatever I was making, I just, like, took the pillowcase out. I dropped it on the floor to kind of <laughs> break up the frozen broccoli. And then I'd take a head of broccoli, let it thaw out, and then just chop it up. And, and it worked? Yeah. That's I mean, amazing. like, you're not using it maybe in the same way. Like this perfect stir fry. Yeah. Like you're putting it in soup. Yeah. Or like Some, potato soup or like yeah. a cheese soup or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Wow. So there's just options. And then, you know, with tomatoes, like, we've dried them before that's always i mean that is really really good that's really fun i we have a dehydrator and i do yeah. um mushrooms and tomatoes that's kind of been my that's because really we had like all these wine caps like we seeded oh. you know our our wood chip like we like we have this wood chip margaret knows but not everyone <laughs> listening knows like we got loads and loads and loads of wood chip to oh bring our soil back to life in like what was like this extremely compacted ground it was like the story was that in the city strip you know between the sidewalk and the street when Kate broke ground which we didn't even break around later in the rest of it what we did was we just did mulch but when she first dug in there she found um, more lighters than worms which is to say she that. found one worm in three lighters, I think. Because it was just so, it's so compacted. And uh, then later when, after, like, it's like foot a foot thick of mulch, like, later coming back, it's like you kind of don't even, ha- you don't have to inoculate it, you don't have to do anything. And it's like, it starts to loosen up the soil and uh, bring in all this fungal and microbial activity. It's been really amazing to see. And yeah, now there's tons of worms in the city strip. But uh, yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot of mulch from the city pile and a lot of blisters on my hands from uh, pitchforking it. And <laughs> you helped. You should. You should <laughs> you do a, like a shovel test this summer. We should. It's probably going to be. I know you won't uh, find any lighters. I don't think we'll find any. Well, in the backyard, I think things emerge. There's a lot of weird. Like I'll find like. I don't know, like weird, like metal bits and sometimes broken, like things just sort of surface that have been there, I think, a long time, like a bit of rug, you know, just like a little scrap of rug and 
you know, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> but uh, we inoculated it with um, wine cap. Uh, it was like a bag of whatever. And so we grew wine caps. And they're not like that good. Like I didn't realize I was growing the easiest mushroom, but not really the tastiest. But they seem better if they if I dehydrate them and okay. then throw them in soups. Their flavor might concentrate or something. It's like the texture is just better. Oh, okay. Because they get kind of like soupy. Okay. When you, yeah. When they're fresh. Yeah. Okay. They, they kind of are like, like yeah, I can see how this maybe just would have melted in the sun, but they don't really. This, you know, they don't. But they, yeah. it seems like that. <laughs> the squirrels love them, which is nice. Squirrels. Go nuts on mushrooms. <laughs> but yeah, the dehydrator for mushrooms and for tomatoes has been really fun. Yeah, it's such a great... It's another just pretty simple tool. I kind of envy people who live in a drier climate um, who where they could just do, do that it, yeah. outside, but we're so humid here that things would... I've found that they like mold pretty easily. They would mold before they dry. Yeah, exactly. So... We've made, we, um, one thing that I love to do with tomatoes is to take either cherry tomatoes or grape tomatoes and put them in the dehydrator and they take a really long time oh, to Oh, like you de- don't cut them? Uh, no, I cut them in half. Oh, cut them in half, yeah. And then, and then they take a really long time in our dehydrator, but, um, the result is like a sun-dried tomato because they don't like all the moisture does not get out of them. Like, they're you'd like have a to little do leathery. Yeah, they're yeah. like, yeah, it's almost like tomato leather. But then I just put those in a bag and put them in the freezer and use them like sun-dried tomatoes. And it's really good. I did that too with cherry tomatoes. And I actually tried to do it without cutting them. And I had them in there for like a day and a half and nothing had happened whatsoever. And I thought <laughs> that was actually really telling too. Like if you see a tomato outside and like the hottest most horrible day that the plant looks bad but the the fruit looks fine right and I was like wow they've got their serious kind of raincoat on so after like 36 hours in the dehydrator looking identical to when they went in I cut them all in half and put them back in and then it was normal like a day or something yeah it was amazing yeah I just put them in a jar in the cupboard Really? Yeah, I didn't. I haven't thought That's to fine. freeze them. Yeah, yeah. they they haven't been. They I know what you mean though. They have like an oily, thick quality you, or yeah, something. Yeah, it's really interesting. You don't add mm-hmm. any oil, but it does. It's there. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I still have some from a couple of years ago. That's great. Cause I I kind of forget about them because they're Me like too. something I don't cook with every day. <laughs> so that's um okay. So that's preserving tomatoes. I love the trick about just putting them whole in the freezer because I think people get pretty overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. I know I do because like well I make I make the sauce in the oven, mm-hmm. which is a great another great hack. But you still it still is like effort and it still is the oven being on when it's hot out. But I put yeah. them in the oven and um, I coat them all with olive oil. Put them in the oven. You put like a peeled garlic clove in like every other one and then just bake them for three hours Mm. and then blend them and it becomes the most velvety, amazing sauce. You don't have to take off any peels. I got that from a cookbook and we've done it every year. And then it's the base for ketchup too, if you want to just add stuff to make ketchup. Yeah. I like that method of like when tomatoes are ripe, it usually coincides with like some of the hottest days oftentimes like the busiest 
time of the year. You know, the the nights are long. Like we all got stuff going on. It's hotter than heck out. And and then on top of that, it's like feel like spending eight hours canning tomatoes. <laughs> And sometimes you do. Sometimes, sometimes you get a wild hair and that sounds good. But I do like the, yeah, you can like break it into break it up. chunks um, by like putting them in the freezer or doing one mm-hmm. thing and then waiting, you know, a couple months for for the next step yeah. or the next thing that you want to process. Yeah. The way that we usually do the sauce is like, okay, put them in the oven. It's, it's always going to be about three hours so you can forget about it and then go do other stuff. And then I let them totally cool. Yeah. And before I blend them so that I don't have like hot stuff in the blender. And so basically that means I can put them in a pot in the fridge for a day or two or three and forget about them entirely. And then say, Oh shit, I have to blend those tomatoes. And then I blend all the tomatoes and we're like, Oh great. Like when do you want to can them? And maybe it's that day, but it, it, you know, might be the next day. And in any case, it like breaks it up into more meaning, like more, um, meat. what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like, uh, you know, just reasonable chunks. Yeah. And so I'm, cause when I, I remember when I was first in this world, like being like, I will use every green tomato, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, cause sometimes it's so hot at the end of the season. And mm-hmm. I just remember I was like, in, you know, in my underwear in my apartment, like really sweaty being like, I will make this green tomato chutney and it, I'm doing it all at once. And I don't even have proper equipment. <laughs> it's like those days are done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those were heady, like ambitious days. Yeah. Now we're yeah. putting, now we're putting things in pillowcases. Yeah. Let's get real. <laughs> exactly. Um, so tell me how, I'm actually super curious about this, how you plan your garden. Or don't plant it. Oh yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, I don't know. I I'll take you like through a I don't know a couple different ways that I've done it. Um, when I first started gardening, I was coming from more of like a farming scale vegetable production. So like you're, I was growing a few a couple acres of of a very diverse mix of vegetables yeah because you had a a csa yeah we had a a csa and like we're selling to restaurants and all that jazz and so part of that deal is you grow you know like 40 or 50 different things and you grow them in rows and you grow them in blocks so that it's more efficient to take care of them and to harvest and to replant and all of that. So that's where I was coming from, coming to a home garden from that situation. And so for the first several years that I had a home garden, I was just like, I'm gonna grow. I had a bunch of seeds left over from that part of my life too. (laughs) So I had like a lot of seeds and I was just like, I'm gonna grow a little bit of everything and it and it turned out looking like a little like mini CSA farm it did. Yeah, in yeah. our garden <laughs> um, so you know like rows and like growing you know like dozens of different things um, it was amazing and it was really cool like I, I love that I love the diversity of of that many plants and like different opportunities to you know they're they're ripening at different times you're harvesting them at different times but I also found that like 
we just weren't we weren't eating everything that we were growing which that's gonna happen in any garden I mean yeah that I can, <laughs> that I can conceive of I can't conceive of a garden where you like eat every single thing no maybe it happens it probably happens I haven't seen it but yeah we were just like I was growing things that weren't in our natural like rhythm of food preparation or what we liked to eat because you just probably were like oh my god this thing is purple and it's from this cool place and i want to try it exactly because there's so many reasons to grow things Mm -hmm. like it like you know eating it for food is just one of like thousands of reasons (laughs) to grow it like you could be growing it for another species you know, like, you could be growing it for an insect or a bird that really likes to eat this. You could be growing it for medicine or for dye or because you think it's beautiful or because it has, like, some kind of meaning to you that's not, you know, like, for none of those reasons. Um, so, so yeah, we were growing a lot of things that we didn't necessarily end up eating or, like, we'd freeze, like... A bunch of beets, and then I never eat them. I do have a bunch of beets in my freezer right now that I haven't eaten. You're ready for some sort of natural disaster. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so keep I, you going. Yeah. So anyway, the past few years, how I've approached garden planning is really to think about what I eat, what I will eat, what brings me joy, like what I want to see. And also, like, what I want in my pantry at the end of the growing season Mm -hmm. and to, like, sustain us through the winter. Um, And that's really kind of guided my garden planning. So, like, this, this year, let's just say, like, I had, I took some time in the winter and I, and I reflected on those questions, like, what do I want to be eating what do I see myself eating? What do I want to be enjoying? What do I want to be sharing? Um, what do I want in my pantry? And then, and then I came up with, I wrote this, I write this down on a little piece of notebook paper every year. Like I want, you know, dried raspberry leaves, mm. dried chili peppers. I want like a supply of cucumbers throughout the season. I want some kind of salad greens throughout the season, Um, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then I go from there and then I always like throw in like some fun stuff that I've never (laughs) tried before or I want to experiment with. And I go from there and that's what dictates like the seeds that I'm starting and how we're like approaching garden planning. That makes sense. Yeah. Do you grow uh, carrots ever? Yeah. You grow carrots? Definitely. We stopped. Okay. Why did you stop? They just took forever and they were small. And we tried really hard to get the soil. We had grew them in a raised bed because they're so, they need like a looser soil, right? And the soil here is clay, so you have to do a lot. So we grew them in the raised bed and we're like carrots. And uh, I think the most disappointing part was that I made I made all these sorts of things out of the greens. Yeah. Like I make pesto out of it or chimichurri or whatever. And unfortunately, they don't fr- I didn't find that it froze well. 
Oh. Like, usually pestos freeze well. Yeah. I haven't tried every plant. Yeah. You know, I often will just eat pesto fresh, but basil pesto certainly works well just freezing, you know. Yeah. And the carrot greens pesto and chimichurri just kind of lost all flavor. And I was just like, hmm. And then carrots are so affordable that I was kind of like, I think we maybe won't. We both were like, let's not really grow carrots. I love that example because there are definitely like, there are things that work in your garden and there's things that don't work. And it like depends on, like you were saying, the history of the land or whatever, a million different like variables. But you'll come to find out that like, carrots aren't worth it they're not worth it they're not worth it but for you they are apparently yeah i mean like for whatever reason like the we can grow decent carrots and there's something that i like to eat fresh i mean that fresh um, carrots actually are so good like it's like you don't if you don't if that's not on your radar i feel like you'd be like it's a carrot like it's a root crop why would that be the case but they're so good yeah when they're fresh out of the garden so hence me going to the farmer's market but (laughs) right right I think that I think that you bring up a good point that like there are some things that we can choose to not grow ourselves when it makes sense to do so like we don't grow winter squash you don't grow winter squash no they take up a ton of space they take up so much space and and I don't there's there's certain pests that like oh that whole thing what the, is that creature called it's called the I, I call it the squash vine borer yeah so it's this beautiful moth that like I don't know exactly what their life cycle is but they the pupa or the larva ends up in the stem of your winter squash and then like usually like the plant all it rots it rots and from it, it dies yeah. and so if you have limited amount of space. And you only can grow one or two winter squash plants. And then this... They both die. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, like, not worth it. But, like, if you're, you know, on a larger scale and you have a hundred plants and a few die from from this pest, then it's not uh, as big of a deal. (laughs) You don't take it as hard, (laughs) you know? Has it always been that bad? Like, I remember when I grew... I used to grow winter squash in this area in like 2007, 2008. And I actually didn't really have any issues. And now when we've, it's different property, but like now we haven't actually, yeah, we have grown some winter squash here, but we've more grown yellow crookneck and zucchini. And, but it's the same exact Mm -hmm. situation. And I hear that from everyone. Like Mm -hmm. it's almost not worth trying. It seems like, but was that always like the case for you? Um, I don't, so my history, like, I never had a garden, gar, like, home gardened in Lincoln. Mm. Like, I went straight to, like, farming. Farming. And it was always, like, and, and that was in 20, like, I don't know. I don't know. 2010? 2010, I know. Probably, yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Something like that, yeah. And, and it was always, like, an, it, there was always, like, some loss. But I think it might just depend on, like, where Hmm. you are. But certainly things are changing, Hmm. like, with the pests and whatnot. I think I feel frustrated by that particular one because it's, like, I was thinking, I don't know, at some point it's, like, we grow, we don't have chickens, we don't have bees, we don't have any animals, 
you know, we have a cat that's not related, but, um, we have just vegetables and fruit. And so if you think about like actually growing food to sustain yourself, that's kind of a small portion of what you need to live. Like, even if you're trying, Mm -hmm. like, if you're like, I will eat all this kale, like you can't actually live on that. Right. And so then it's like, okay, well, we we're not really set up to raise animals and, just with limit like you could like you could raise chickens or even meat rabbits, meat rabbits yeah. yeah you could, or some other like bird for meat mm-hmm. but we just have it all in either like flowers food hangout space and I feel like that's fine so it's like oh well if I grow more stuff that's more like carby mm-hmm. you know like potatoes beets squash mm-hmm. that kind of actually is that takes care of that. So it's like, oh, great. Now I only need to get like a meat or a protein or something. Nice. Yeah. But, um, the, and beets are easy, easy, easy. Yeah. And potatoes are kind of a little project because the way you have to <clears throat> mound up the dirt again and again, you know, that's yeah. kind of a thing. But yeah. you can definitely grow potatoes. But the fact that squash are kind of off the table, I find very annoying because <laughs> <laughs> they're so good. And it's like, it's like, yeah. It, it's it's a lot of bang for your buck. It's a lot of like, bang for your buck. You know, they store, they have so many things going well for them. They like, they store really well. Like sometimes all season. Yeah. Like. Spaghetti squash will store. Yeah. It seems almost There's farmers selling butternut squash in this area now that they harvested in, you know. August, right? August, September. Yeah. So, yeah. It, it's too bad. It's just one of those things where, you know, somebody else is going to do that. And I'm going to get it from them. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> and it's carrots for you. Carrots for me. And it could be something else for somebody else. You know, it could be tomatoes for somebody else. Not everybody has to grow tomatoes. No, it's like, that's like the gateway drug, right? Is tomatoes. People start with tomatoes and whether or not they ought to, like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing. I love thinking about that. Um, Like my grandma was born and raised in this area of Lincoln, Lincoln, Nebraska. But, you know, her family came from Sweden and... They lived outside of Lincoln on a farm and they raised most of the things that they ate, except they would get um, sugar, coffee, and flour <laughs> from someplace else, you know, the essentials. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, but they their garden looked a lot different than the gardens that you see now, mm-hmm. typical gardens. Like, they did not grow tomatoes they didn't grow peppers you know they were growing onions they were growing um you know kale collardy plants did they grow cabbages, cabbages? Yeah. and potatoes like that's very so our gardens northern ha- sun, yeah, yeah. <laughs> our gardens have changed so much because now i feel like yeah tomatoes mm-hmm. are the big the big thing in gardens yeah that's funny Oh, I love that image. You know, that reminds me, I just, when I think about this, it kind of just stops me in my tracks. Like my grandparents, uh, every single one of them grew up on a farm, right? Mm -hmm. Like my parents' generation is the first one that, that didn't. Yeah. And not, and they're not both from here. Like they're from different places, but like hearing you say that it's like, it's actually kind of inspiring. It's kind of horrifying. Like just how in such a short amount of time, like as a whole, we've gotten a little disconnected from Mm -hmm. that component of taking care of ourselves just like as humans. Um, But it's like right there. It's just right there. 
Yeah. It, yeah. In terms of like generation and like you can access. just do it. Like, yeah, like you can. You don't need anything fancy. Yeah. You yeah, don't need yeah. to be a homeowner. You don't need anything. Yeah. Really. You need something, but you don't need much. Like, I mean, I, I remember growing a ton of stuff in an apartment building. It, like, I'd be like, hey, can I plant a garden? And they'd be like, okay. You know, because I lived in, like, cheap places where they didn't have some... If you want to do it, you can, you can do, do it. it. <laughs> yeah, and I had a garden in one of my apartment buildings that they kept it going for, like, a decade or more after I left. You never know what's going to happen, like, when you plant a seed, when you start on one of these... You know, when you make a garden, like, things can happen that are mm-hmm. totally unexpected. <laughs> and that's one of the yeah. really cool things about it. Yeah. yeah. And it was just, uh, I think it, people were so inspired by it, yeah. actually. Yeah. I mean, I'm inspired. Like, one of my favorite things to do in in the summer is to walk around town and, like, <laughs> try to, like, catch a peek at people's gardens because it's very inspiring just to see how how people work with their their surroundings and and do what they need to do to to grow something it's like uh to me i i like the simplest like pot of flowers or like you know, suffering basil plant that I see. (laughs) It just makes me almost want to cry because, like, people have this need to to do that. Mm -hmm. And and it's just really beautiful to see that. At this point in your journey, do you... Have you ever kind of run the numbers on, like, what it costs, you know, to grow all this stuff? And, like, do you know if you, like, save money or spend money in your amazing gardening world it's okay if you haven't I'm just curious I haven't like run the numbers but I mean just intuitively I don't know there's some considerations I mean there's material costs right like when you're starting a garden like there's startup costs yeah. yeah you might you know for us it was we took we we transformed like our front yard and our backyard into gardens but we did so without like plowing them up or tilling them we would we just covered them with 2 feet of leaves in the fall and waited <laughs> waited and then that killed the grass um and our neighbors probably thought we were crazy (laughs) how did the leaves stay there and not blow away we like i mean once you put enough on them (laughs) they they just kind of weigh themselves down but i also (laughs) would spray them with water oh okay okay to kind of weigh them down so anyway we we that's how we killed the the turf and then you know getting free compost from like the the lincoln composting um pile and free wood chips um which a lot of cities have those things i think probably not all cities but it's kind of common yeah like you should never have to buy those yeah so we were looking like we bought you know the things that we were buying are it's seed or you know like getting a little seed startup room not room but like seed starting setup going um but then like the biggest thing is time so if you're calculating time into the cost of production, right. then that will 
that will raise <laughs> the price of your homegrown carrots. But if you're not, mm-hmm. then maybe you're ultimately saving money. But um, I, I, I don't know. It'd be interesting to to see those numbers. I, I don't know. Like definitely th- things on things like herbs, right? Yeah. Like I, I just know that like the four basil plants that I had cost me almost nothing and I can buy basil in a grocery store for four dollars for a little tiny plastic sad (laughs) clamshell or I can buy it for you know like I don't know how the going rate of basil fifteen dollars a pound at the farmer's market so I know that Mm. that that kind of stuff yeah certain items I feel like for uh salad greens and Mm like cooking greens like kale and colors and stuff you save money unless unless something weird happens like you're saving money if you're growing those yeah especially the ones that you can like kale and chard and collards that will last a whole season Mm -hmm. like you plant them in the spring and you it's a continual harvest for until october yeah you know like in november or like into the winter if you plant them under cover yeah, oh, I mean, yeah, you can just also like we've we've done different things to you can get those plants to go perennial, which is cool. Yeah, like we just pack leaves oh, around yeah. them. We've done yeah, a few yeah. different things. Sometimes they don't they don't all make it, but yeah, enough of them make it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that those things like that mm-hmm. for sure. I think you're, I think you're probably saving money. But yeah, time is the biggest thing. Yeah, but if you look at your time out there as like not, <laughs> I don't know. You can. You can think about it different ways. Yeah, you can yeah. view your time spent tending a garden in, in different ways. I say for, for Kate and me, like, there's a big push in the spring to get mm. things ready. And then in the fall, there will be as well. And in the summer, there's some time processing. But, like, on an average day, we don't spend a lot of time. Mm-hmm. in the garden in, unless we want to but like mm-hmm. it's like watering and just like a little bit of maintenance like we don't have to really weed very much you know we just weed a little bit right um I think if we never did it then it would creep up but because of the because of the mulch and because we yeah uh we put hay around all the vegetables in the boxes and stuff like right. yeah weeding isn't really an issue and we probably spend about an hour a day but you but we could skip you know, some of that if yeah. you need it too. Yeah, the way that you set set <laughs> it up can definitely impact that. And and yeah. I think you're right, like there's big there's big pushes like at mm-hmm. certain points in the season. And one thing that I I don't know, I'm trying to get better at is like there's a big push in the spring to, to start stuff. But then to have, like, a successive, like, harvest, you have to, like, do another push. You have to remember you know? to do it. You have too. to remember to, like, <laughs> yeah. oh, you know, like, it's June. I should be starting things again for the fall. Mm-hmm. And so that is another mindset to just be aware of and to get That's into. That's true. And we're, Kate and I are pretty bad about that one. We yeah. sometimes can get another round of lettuce or something in, but a lot of, there's a lot of like, it's like that original spring, whatever, and it's amazing and the flowers. And then by the time I'm kind of remembering to do successive plantings, it's sometimes July and you can't actually at that point, at least in our setup, like 
maybe some people have a different setup that they can start things in July, but whenever I do it, nothing, nothing comes up. Oh. Um, because are you, are you doing like transplants? No, or uh, seeds. Seeding? Yeah. Okay. Which I think some people, I, maybe you just have to be extremely on top of your watering. Yeah. Like I feel like I am, but obviously something is not working. Cause it's, I think on those really, really hot days, it's just a lot of stress yeah. and I would maybe have to water like a few times a day. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or it's, well I think yeah I mean like what you're saying about it is easy for us to get in the mindset of starting seeds I think now mm-hmm. because we're kind of mirroring what's happening in nature and yeah there's seedlings coming up around us and like it's that time of year but in August things are in nature are kind of like coming to the end of their life cycle and so we have to just like (laughs) pound it into our head for me it's like there's these very big dates that my gardening year revolves around what are they tell me well it's like (laughs) it's like march 1st Uh like i was saying that's like the date that i want to start you know my summer crops by and actually to backtrack if i grow onions or leeks or whatever i want to like start them in January 15th is the oh, date wow, of my, wow. okay. in my head. See, you that's don't have amazing. To. But, but you can, right? Cause then, cause they don't mind getting chilly if you can put them out a little. Yeah. Early, you yeah. can put, those are like among the first things that you put out. So like, let's say January 15th for leeks and onions to start them inside March 1st for tomatoes and peppers and eggplants. And then it's like, um, St. Patty's day. I, I was taught this way, like all of my gardening has just been receiving knowledge from other people, right? And I was taught St. Patty's Day, around St. Patty's Day is when you plant potatoes. That's easy to remember. Yeah. And then I'm trying to think of the other. And then and then there's like this huge gap. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, St. Patrick's Day is usually in... It's March 17th. Oh, it's March 17th. Right, that's every year. (laughs) I was like thinking it was Easter or something. Okay, so that's every year. And then, and then you like go all the way. the The big date in the fall is Halloween to plant garlic. Uh So you're so it's like October 31st. So I feel like we need to kind of culturally, if we want to keep these succession plantings and having like a harvest throughout the summer and into the fall, I need to like pick some dates in between St. Patrick's day and (laughs) Halloween to be like, this is the time we start fall cabbage or like, this is the time we whatever start salad greens to harvest in November. So which would be like when like early summer for Mm. like, when would you start fall cabbage? Fall ca- yeah, fall cabbage, I would either, pl- like, I mean, there's some varieties of fall cabbage that you start now-ish, yeah. or like in April, so over. that you plant them in May, and they just have this extremely long season, or there's some that you would plant more like in June okay. or July to harvest in September or October, and then there's like Napa cabbage, which I guess we've kind of gotten into a groove with Napa cabbage, like we'll start it in August. Okay. When is it ready? 
and then it's ready in October. Like two months? Mm-hmm. Wow, that's fast. Yeah. Wow. So, and, and in those situations, we're kind of looking at varieties that have that shorter, you know, days to maturity and that might do well mm. in a variety of circumstances. Because here in Nebraska, in the fall, it can be really hot. Like, it can be 100 degrees yeah. in September. Easily. And then in October, it can be, you know... A snowstorm. 20 degrees. Mm-hmm. So, like, you're looking for a variety that can withstand some of those extremes. And the, and the Napa cabbage will? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. We're going to grow some this and year. And that's what... Yes. I've never grown them. And it's great because, like... Um, and, and that's a, one thing I wanted to talk about, like, just in terms of what you plant or what we plant and why. Like, I love cabbage. If I could grow cabbage, like, just, like, a green cabbage a purple cabbage i would but like the cabbage looper moths like the beautiful little white moths and their fun little green those little <laughs> caterpillars yeah, like little gummy worms <laughs> they're so um they, there's a lot of pressure from those those bugs um and and like our cabbage turns out really badly <laughs> Because we don't spray. Yeah. There are organic controls that people spray, and we. But could you have to do be that. really on it. Like we do it, but you, you we, do that. I don't. We don't grow head cabbage yeah. because of all the things. Yeah. But it's like those same pests will get the kale, but yeah. that's really easy to deal with. I find the kale easy to deal with because you, do you pick off the worms? Um, or what I do, you do. Well, okay, okay. So mostly I stay on top of harvesting. Oh. Or I don't, and I am like, hmm. But when I'm on top of harvesting, then I just have way less of an issue. Okay. And so you're removing thing, yeah. their, the thing that they need to eat and lay eggs on them. So that's by far the number one. But then number two and three is definitely I collect the little, the little, what I don't know what they're called, caterpillars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I collect those and throw them over the fence. And. <laughs> Oh, you don't smush them? No. Okay. Do they just come back over? I don't know, maybe. <laughs> I don't know what they do. I feel kind of bad. Um, but I then I also spray the stuff that it's the organic approved. Um, but I think it's the same chemical potentially that non-organic farmers use too well, sometimes. It's but it's called BT. Yeah, yeah, it's what like corn, like a lot of like commodity corn is like genetically engineered to have that in, in it the, already in the plant already so you don't actually have to spray it <laughs> just um but yeah you spray that too yeah i spray the yeah but it's annoying like you have to be really on top of it um yeah. but the biggest the biggest thing is just harvesting a lot but I'm the thing is that. with kale like because it's a continuous harvest it's just a different game than a head cabbage which you just get once yes yeah. yes okay i'm gonna remember that for the kale but yeah, that's why we we switched to just growing Napa cabbage because mm. it's not the same as a head cabbage, but it's kind. Of, I mean, like it's a cabbage. It'll do the trick. <laughs> <laughs> and and the cabbage looper moths don't bother it at oh, all. Oh wow, I didn't know that. That's inspiring. So yeah, <laughs> so you just like have to. I don't know. You can make swaps for things that aren't working or are working. You know, whatever. Mm. What do you feel like has been the most, like, heart-filling, meaningful part of gardening for you that you can think of 
or you know top top whatever um well number one i was thinking about this question um and i just think it's um it goes back to what we were talking about kind of with uh just maybe being a little bit disconnected from nature or growing things is that like the garden provides an opportunity like for me as someone who lives in a city to actually like spend time outside like being part of the cycle and I don't think there's a lot of opportunities for people living in an urban environment to actually like get in there and get their hands dirty like a lot of yeah our interactions are more maybe observational like you can go for a walk and observe and I love like I love observing mm-hmm. things like I think there's a lot of meaning and value in observing and connecting with your environment um but there's something for me that like gardening you can actually like get into it you can do something and a lot of times that that's like not um uh encouraged in other spheres of like how you're moving around in the world like there's not signs in a park that say like come harvest our, you know, this patch of nettles over here. And people are afraid. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people are. Yeah. Afraid that they'll do it wrong or that they'll get in trouble or that, you know, they'll poison themselves, whatever. Mm -hmm. So, like, I feel like gardening is, like, one of the things that you can actually, like, have that really hands-on experience. And, um... And then with that, like, that just offers a lot of space for healing and um, contemplation and connection with other people and everything that you're interacting mm-hmm. with. You know, like, there's there's birds that are in our garden that, like, I can re- kind of recognize, you know, that everything has its own habits and, yeah. like, cycles and being able to be in the garden you can come to recognize that so that just is very special to Mm. me it makes me think of i'm gonna get the details wrong but maybe you'll remember in braiding sweetgrass she talks about like asking like these incoming college freshmen who they're all studying like environmental science or something which is my major for five minutes when I was in university (laughs) but uh asking them does the earth love you Mm -hmm. and basically all these kids had a lot of guilt and didn't believe that the earth loved them and kind of felt like essentially humans only mess things up right and they yeah just like were carrying that with them all the time whereas like she asked her daughter who was a big gardener um, does the earth love you? And she's like, of course. And it was this, and it was so related to the act of gardening. And it's like, that is the earth loving you. Right. That's what it is. Right. It's like so tangible. Yeah. That's really beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. We're, we, yeah. You encounter just like so many, it's easy to like 
think that humans are doing everything wrong. It's really, I feel like I'm going to cry. It's so easy to think that. And it's, it's actually bullshit. It's just one version of the story. So yeah, like I'm going to cry too. It's just like, uh, (laughs) Hmm. it makes me think of just like the, the like conservation movement and white men like John Muir coming in and being like to California, like this is this amazing paradise. And like these native people don't even realize how amazing it is. And they're just kind of living hand to mouth, uh, and not even appreciating it. And like me as a white man, like I'm going to, you know, really like use these resources and like yeah. all this, like if you, I, I don't mean to completely be disrespectful first to some of that work. Cause some of it was, not bad. Um, we have parks as opposed to like them all being paved over. So there's that, but like a lot of that, like his writings were like pretty disturbing to read, like, you know, just like the racism of the time, you know, that he couldn't avoid erasure of like the the, truth. Yeah. Um, like that these people, like that the, all the people in California Mm -hmm. who were living there for so long were actually like, doing like agroforest like what we'd call agroforestry and like they were actually like basically gardening but it didn't look like a garden to people from Europe they thought it was a wilderness but it wasn't it was a garden yeah (laughs) so yeah the gardening just like is a kind of an antidote for for that feeling that like humanity is messing things up um and that you can't and that if you touch something, like, it's not good. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's exactly that, right? Yeah. It's exactly that, like, that humans just come and, yeah, mess things up. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. like, you, because that's the thing, like, that's the other beautiful thing about gardens is, like, no matter what their size is or whatever, like, how they look, like, they do transform. They're transformational. Um, yeah, like, by definition, yeah, yeah. You're, they're you're always trans, changing. You're transforming your environment and your, the land around you, and and like in our case, in our yard, in our yard and gardens, like, <laughs> like there's no lawn. <laughs> you know, like I have observed, you know, how we have interacted and with with our this piece of earth that we cohabitate you know we're there are birds coming in there are insects coming in there are animals coming in that weren't that weren't there weren't there and like that makes me feel really good same i mean we like so kate planted a thistle like it used to be illegal to grow thistle i think in lincoln or at least certain varieties right it Mm -hmm. was like like, there's a county weed board, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which is, if you're in junior high and you hear that name, you laugh about that a lot. <laughs> My friends and I were like, so-and-so for county weed board. <laughs> but uh, they, you couldn't grow thistles. And Kate bought a thistle in a pot from Everett at the farmer's market and planted it. And I was like, what? Like, you planted a thistle? I, you know, and I kind of, she just, she's the one who's in charge of the garden and I'm kind of just like helping sometimes <laughs> but I was like okay but uh she was like oh no they're really good they're really good 
she didn't say it like that, but she was just very convinced of the goodness of the thistle. And I was like, okay. And then I found out they weren't illegal anymore. And I was like, oh, that's nice. Um, Because it's right in the front. Like, it's right, like, the first thing you see. (laughs) Controversial. It is controversial still. But all this to say is that apparently it's a preferred food of uh, goldfinches. Because sometimes we would have 25 goldfinches in that thistle. And I never Mm -hmm. saw a goldfinch in this area before i mean sure they would come through and be like well they don't have any thistles here and i'm yeah. gonna move on but yeah. it's like oh they grew a thistle like we're gonna eat every bit of this and of course it's a pollinator plant too like when the flowers are there like all the all the like little pretty i don't remember which ones but all the the cute little bugs come all the butterflies and stuff come and then the th- seeds are there and then all the goldfinches come yeah and you're changing you know you're changing it and you're mm-hmm. you're helping to bring you're helping to like signal to those little finches, like, "Hey, stop here, stop a while." Yeah, and um, do. And they're maybe eating some cabbage looper worms too. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I just, I was curious. We can. We're about. We're almost at an hour, so I don't want to have this be like one of those, you know, three-hour podcasts mm-hmm. that no one gets through. <laughs> I am curious though if you have any thoughts about for someone who's getting started or like wants to get started because I know it can be overwhelming for people um, pretty commonly or they just aren't sure where to where to go or maybe they're really gung-ho but they don't know what they're doing so yeah just any like thoughts you have for that someone just getting started I hmm that's a great question I know it can be hard um, for a variety of reasons to like just get started and try something because sometimes the stakes feel very high when you're like trying something out for the first time or you're... It does, doesn't it? It yeah. does feel like I can't make any mistakes sometimes. Yeah. And I would just say try to, you know, accept that feeling but then like push through it and just try something it's not gonna look the same for everybody like it's not everybody's gardens are different and the way that we do things are different um but I would just say just try (laughs) and see what happens I mean I I learned how to garden by learning how to farm. And that could be a pathway for someone. Like if you want to volunteer or if you're looking for a part-time job. That's kind of how I learned too. Yeah, there's plenty of farms hiring seasonal Mm -hmm. workers. Like that's an option. Um, That's actually great advice. Yeah, And they're looking for people. It seems like around here anyway, like... It's like, I think maybe people in town, that's not always on their radar. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like a nicer job than, depending on what you're into, than yeah. some other ones. <laughs> yeah, and if you look at it as like an educational experience or pick, I mean, like I picked, I learned skills from working on farms that I will use like for the rest of my life. <laughs> And I'd say that's a pretty good deal. Pretty and I good. was getting paid, you know, like you're not getting paid a lot, but you're you're getting paid something and you have 
you know, you often come home with a lot of food and you're getting skills. So that, I mean, if you could swing that, that's great. But if you can't, I just, just try something, plant, plant a seed, like plant a marigold seed and then put it in a pot when it grows and take care, you know, give it water and then watch it bloom and succeed. And if it doesn't succeed, there's always next year. That's always what I tell, like, mm. there's always next year. It's, it's not just like this one and done thing. You're in this continuous cycle and you always have another chance. I would also say just like overplant things. I agree with that. <laughs> yeah. I think people sometimes think like, it actually reminds me of when I started my first business. I felt like I couldn't make any mistakes that like related to losing money or something mm-hmm. like I was just kind of like I can't spend any money on this or that or whatever I have to figure this out myself and it or okay. just like funny things around like like I remember I paid someone to help me with SEO and I don't think that like actually bore fruit like I, I did get really good SEO a different way but yeah. that was kind of like I felt like just like so much shame that I'd spent like $80 on something that I think was like maybe a bit of a scam. Mm-hmm. And over time I realized that's actually just the most ordinary thing. And I feel like gardening is the same way. Kind of like you end up like having a lot of plants die actually. And it's okay. It, yeah, Mar- Margaret's face right now. She's just like your eyes are, you're like, yes. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you can get real, you could get really disheartened, disheartened mm-hmm. by like, having quote unquote failures like that, like having plants die, but like things happen in a garden that are like beyond your control. They also happen like by you not like knowing what to do or like all of it forgetting something like the amount of plants that I have killed. <laughs> I mean, it's not like, no, I'm not trying real. to, it's just like something that happens. Um, and yeah, I can see how it would be disheartening, but everybody is going through that. Mm-hmm. And just keep planting. <laughs> just keep planting is like the... Just keep planting. Just I think that, planting. that's great advice. And I think people sometimes make it like mean something about themselves. Like I've heard so many times people be like, oh, I planted whatever and it never... Thumb. Yeah, and I'm like, no, no, no. Like you just haven't... That, that idea of like you've just like failed a few, you found ways, you found things that didn't work. You haven't actually failed, you know, like it's, it's like, you just haven't fallen. You you fall down and you get up and you fall down and you get up. But it's like, I feel like sometimes it's very sad, but mostly it's fun in my experience. I'm trying to think of the last like really sad thing. Yeah. Have you had like, (sighs) Oh, Hmm. we had a, We've had asparagus sadnesses. Oh, what happened? A whole crop died in a dry winter. Oh. Yeah. That's really hard. We'll see if this one, this winter is not so dry. I mean, I think I should have watered it over the winter, but it was like a little nerve wracking because I kept being afraid it would freeze. Oh, yeah. Um, it changes. Yeah. That's and sad. also I just wasn't kind of, it wasn't really on my radar to water in the winter like that. We don't yeah. live in a climate, like it was a fucked up winter, like. Mm-hmm. not this winter but the last one yeah. and so we planted a whole new a whole new bed the same bed we planted a whole new round of as- of asparagus so we'll see okay you always <laughs> try again you just try again try again yeah um i would say the, like the last really 
sad thing that sticks out in my mind is like we planted two big beds like we have a garden in our neighbor's yard too and we planted two... like this is how hardcore <laughs> well, and then are. we had the garden in the another neighbor's yeah, yard <laughs> but um we planted two 25 you know 25 foot by like four foot beds of potatoes because potatoes are something that we eat i love potatoes Everybody, yeah. Everybody loves potatoes. How can you not? Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for the potato. Um, but we planted two big beds of them and, you know, they grew, they were fine, like growing just fine. You can't really tell what's going on underneath a potato plant. I mean, like I, I, I do a fair amount of like digging around and like trying to see what's going on but you know you don't really know what's happening because the potatoes are growing under the soil and then so it was harvest time we dug up these potatoes and what should be like a lot of potatoes like one little cut up seed potato should yield I sometimes like a pound of potatoes or more, you know, like three, but I don't know what the yield is exactly, but a lot like, but these potatoes, it was like the meagerest, the most meager harvest. (gasps) All of the potatoes were probably like the size of an egg. Oh, wow. And it was last year. It wasn't last year. It was the year before. Interesting. And you know, like, I, it was so, (laughs) it was, you know, we spent, I don't know, you plant potatoes on St. Patrick's Day, uh, March 17th, (laughs) now that I know, and you harvest them, you know, in August or something. Yeah. So that's quite a bit of time to take care of this this plant. And you're not getting anything in the meantime because you don't eat the grains. No, you're just like watching your potato (laughs) patch (laughs) grow and you're like, Ooh, I can't wait to eat these potatoes. Like this is going to be great. Like the winter we're going to have potatoes forever. (laughs) And then you harvest them and they're like tiny and scraggly and you don't know what went wrong. (laughs) So that's the saddest thing. It's pretty sad. And there we like, we actually decided not to grow potatoes. (laughs) (laughs) so some things you try and you try again give it a go in another year yeah and and in a different space do it it in a different place like there's all these like there's eternal combinations of like year and weather and space so like you can always blame something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you can, exactly. It's so true. And you're not necessarily wrong. No. <laughs> Aww. Do you have... um? Yeah, do you have any kind of, you know, I'm just going to put you on the spot. Do you have any final thoughts or things that had occurred to you that you wanted to say, you know, before we wrap up? Just, um, yeah, I just reiterate the, like, gardens are for everybody. And you can do it, and it doesn't matter what it looks like. Yeah. (laughs) Um... And if you can find a friend, like, I will say, you know, I mentioned, like, walking around town, looking at people's gardens. If you're somebody who wants to learn about gardening, like, that's a great way of doing it. If it 
feels good to you to walk around and strike up a conversation with someone about their garden, they will like talk to you about their garden. They will actually. <laughs> and will. and you know, you never know what you might learn, what kind of garden friend you might <laughs> you might have cuz like that yeah. It's just a very passionate subject for people, so... It's so true, and it actually... Because I'm often the one hanging out. Like, Kate and I will sit around a lot in our yard. Like, a lot of people don't... I feel like a lot of people don't do that, or they sit on the porch. But we... You don't get any sun on the porch, so Kate and I are always sitting in, like, the walkway from the sidewalk up to the house. Which Kate, because of the confined space, like, Kate will... She calls it the boat, because she feels like she's sitting on a boat. (laughs) But it's a walkway. (laughs) So, like, we're very silly. So we're sitting on the boat, quote-unquote, and people, like, people can't walk by and not chat with us. Like, they just are like, I love your garden, and and our garden's, like, messy, you know? And so you'd think maybe they would be like, oh, these people are, like, disorderly heathens, but they're like, I love walking by your house, like, I love the flowers, and it's it's so connecting. Yeah. It's just like you say, yeah. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. yeah, just, like... Yeah, that little bit of difference or, like, that little pot of something that you're growing or plant that you're growing, that'll make somebody's day, you know. So, that's just great. (laughs) I can't wait for the season to start. I know, I'm so ready this year. I'm so ready. Yeah. I'm just, like, bad. I'm so ready for the the fruit trees to flower and that whole thing. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for coming on and talking about gardening. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It was so much fun. (laughs) All right. That's it. Thank you so much for listening to the Soil and Stars podcast. Any relevant links will be in the episode description on your podcast player. So that includes the link to my website, soilandstars.art, where you can purchase the Know Your Chart, Know Yourself workshop for beginners. And uh, what else? You can also book an astrology reading there. And I'll include the link to the Patreon page, uh, which I'm so excited about because I am hoping to be able to pay someone else to do the editing uh, for this and also to get another microphone. So like fingers crossed, that's those are my dreams and goals right now. So thanks so much for being a part of it. Share it with your friends if you are moved. And until then, until next time, be well. <laughs> <laughs>